0: Uh, we are back with another episode of views from the bench today I'm excited to have um, a coach from way up north Cole McCaig how you doing I'm doing good how are you Ryan I'm awesome so um, a little history on our relationship I was uh, I had the pleasure of watching you play your four years at Marion University and then correct me if I'm wrong but one of your first coaching experiences was with uh, myself at the Coleman Cup and then you you later head coached uh with the Hockey Factor team, right?
1: Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, we uh I forget where we were, but yeah, we went to the Coleman Cup. I think we lost in the finals. I think we were we went undefeated in round robin and everything and then I forget what region we lost to, but I remember we lost in the finals and then yeah, and then a couple weeks later uh I was the head coach and then Connor Blank was my assistant coach with over mm-hmm. uh, the U16 or U17 uh hockey factory team. So yeah, I was uh that was my first coaching experience. So yeah, yeah. For that.
0: that was a it was, it was a fun time because I remember uh, that Coleman Cup year we we were we were Region 3. We lost in the finals and we lost in the finals to I think it was Region 6 that we had beaten the round yeah. of robin, but they came back and beat us. But just want to give you the heads up and a little update. The following year, I did go back, um, and well, we won. Um, I don't want to say it was it, was, you know, what the difference was, but uh, you know, we did win it. Um, I'm not sure if you remember, but Maddie Taylor, do you, do yeah. you know Maddie at all? Yeah, yeah Maddie. Yeah. He took your spot on the bench, but uh, he did a great job. But you did a fantastic job as well. But that when we went down to Chicago, uh, we coached that U18 hockey factory team, and that was a uh, that was a wild ride. I mean.
1: It was, yeah. We uh, we went undefeated in round robin. I don't know if we went undefeated, but we finished first in our, our pool, and then we uh, lost in the quarterfinals. So I think I remember um, the four teams in our pool that advanced, we all lost out in the first round to the other pool. So we must have been in the... I guess the below average pool there, but it was a good experience. It was a lot of fun. I remember uh, coaching against uh, Daniel Persillo, a mm-hmm. NHL player one game. So I thought that was pretty cool.
0: Yeah. And if you remember correctly, you got your first taste of uh, how some youth kids act. And I was telling the story before once about how that trip, I we had that one player. I remember me and you were sitting on, a, uh, on the table getting ready to go. And, and we were in downtown Chicago. So we had to have valets get our cars. Remember that? Yeah. yeah and so the valleys are getting our cars and as we're sitting there at the table you know we're like oh, we'll be one of the last let all the kids get in let's let's wait do you remember the guy and we won't we won't say the kid's name but the kid walked in and he walked in with that uh like Qdoba burrito oh yeah that's and yeah right. <laughs> you looked at me like and i look like i was like Ugh. and he, like you like the, the look of disgust on your face as you watched that kid and we were playing an hour and a half later, and he took down that entire Qdoba burrito. And uh, and I don't remember if you remember this. Like, I made a comment, like, really? Like, that close to a game? And then he, like, he like looked at us, and then he pulled out the 60-ounce, like, big gulp soda. That he- yeah.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, uh,
1: that was pretty funny. Definitely not. I mean, I never did anything like that when I played. That was more of a post-game meal than a pre-game <laughs> meal. But... I don't know, who knows, maybe he scored a couple goals the night before and he did that and it was just some sort of pregame ritual he started, so.
0: I remember, (coughs) excuse me, I remember that because that was one of those things where you, um, excuse me, (coughs) where the look on your face was like, like what, like this is is hockey, like this is, you shouldn't be doing this and I was like, you know, some kids just, that's just the way they roll, man, but. No, that was an awesome, and I, I remember watching uh, you coach there, and I, as as I watched you from Coleman Cup to, you know, um, to the U18 team, the one thing that I really found that I was like, I knew you were going to be a good coach is because you had that passion. Um, I remember every time a kid would come off the ice, you were high-fiving them, and you're always throwing something of encouragement or a new, maybe an idea for them to become better on the ice and things like that. So it was a great um you know, I, I could see that you were going to become a great coach off of that, and and now you're with the Flint Farm Bombers, Junior A in the Saskatchewan, you know, hockey league. So,
1: yeah, no, yeah. that was uh, that was a good experience. It was, I don't know, it was one of those things where like when you're when you're a player, you think you know a lot about coaching, and then even even just coaching a U16 team, it was still like a, an eye opener for me. You know, so I knew I still had like a lot to learn and long ways to go, but I like to think I've developed and do a better coach since
0: since that experience (laughs) i'm sure you have i'm sure you have um one of the things i'm excited to do today is um i wanted to start a new segment with our views from the bench coaches and the new segment i want to do is called our lightning round i'm going to ask you around 10 11 12 questions i just want you to give me an answer top off right off the top of your head Um, I don't want you thinking about it don't want you elaborating but I want some of the viewers out there to get to know you as a coach and as a person um, before we start the meat of the interview okay okay sounds good so all right so remember do not uh, think about it do not elaborate first thing that comes to mind all right yeah who was your first coach Uh, my dad is a hot dog a sandwich no (laughs) Name your favorite coach. Ken Schneider. Uh, could you knock out Mike Tyson in his prime? No chance. How many rounds would you last before he knocked you out? Two seconds. <laughs> best player best player you've played with? Uh Brett Bain. Best player you've played against? Uh best
1: player I played against Michael saint Okay.
0: Favorite hockey team?
1: Montreal Canadiens.
0: Who wins in a one-on-one game, Gretzky or Lemieux?
1: Lemieux. Why? Just that uh, he can skate. He's big and strong. Like I just think he would overpower Gretter on a, <laughs> in a one-on-one game. Yeah.
0: A last question. Pick one player in the NHL history to captain your team.
1: Uh, in, in History? Yep. Bobby Clark.
0: All right. All right. Well, that's all we got for the lightning round. I just have one comment, though, because the hot dog is clearly a sandwich. It's not a bun.
1: I blocked
0: out there. <laughs> um, I mean, anything on a bun, I think constitutes being a sandwich. So no, you're right. You're right. I'll let you off the hook on that one. Um, but okay, we're going to move on now. Um, you know, uh, like I mentioned before, your playing career, you, you, you came up through the, the uh, junior ranks and you ended up making it to Marion University, uh, NCAA division three team. Um, what type of player were you at, at? What type of player were you in college?
1: Uh, i was just uh you know fourth line player that's you know, full of energy you know worked my bag off every game every practice yeah. uh just one of those players that i wanted i wanted the coach to know that they could they knew what they were going to get out of me every night mm-hmm. um I, was, I definitely wasn't a skilled player by any means uh you know it was more of like a penalty killer that type of uh player so yeah, that's I guess that's kind of the type of player I was at Marion. You know, I wasn't really a top six guy, more
0: of a bottom six player. And then um what what makes that player relevant in today's game? Because a lot of coaches right now they're 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 focused on giving the kids their best skills and they're always focused on skill development, things like that. But um but those players are still relevant. And tell me like why are those players still relevant?
1: Uh I think a couple of reasons. I think one um, like, when you're coaching a hockey team, like, mm-hmm. in order to win a championship or be successful, like, you are you can't have four lines of just skilled players. Like, you need those guys that are willing to go in the corners and, and bang and crash. And uh, if you have four first-line players that are just skilled guys and who's going to be, you know, a lot of those guys aren't great penalty killers either, and mm-hmm. some of those guys might not block shots. And uh, I think another another reason why, the, you know, those types of players are relevant in today's game is um, just I, I look back at a guy like Darcy Tucker and uh, when Darcy Tucker played in the Western hockey league with Kamloops, he was like a 50 goal scorer. He was like, I think he had over a hundred points in two years in the Western league. And, but in order for him to make it to the NHL, he had to, to play a different role. And that's why I think it's important for, for kids in youth hockey, to, to learn how to do those little things, right? Because when you get to the next level and, you know, say you're on the on the edge of making a, making a team, a prep team or something like that, and it's between you and another guy, well, if you bring those other elements to your game where you're blocking shots and you can penalty kill and do all those little things and the other guy you're competing with can't, that's probably going to separate yourself and you're probably going to end up making the team.
0: Yeah, And how many times uh, from your experience in, in juniors do you run into kids who are that 50-goal scorer and then they, when they get to your team and you ask them to play a different role, can they not do that? And then why do you think that is? Like why do you think some players just can't get out of that role that they've been stuck in?
1: Yeah, I mean you, you see it all the time at the junior level and um, even at the college level too it happens a lot. I played with some guys um, at the Division three level that were – you know, goal scores or point per game guys at the junior level, and then, you know, when you get to college, it's just a whole new, you know, it's a whole new ball game, and uh, some guys just aren't really willing to accept that role, or maybe their their self evaluations a little off, you know. Like mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I just, like I said, playing at Marion, there there would be a few guys that like point per game guys in junior, but maybe they didn't play in a great junior league. And then they come to Marion and they just aren't able to adjust and they're not able to, to sacrifice to, you know, accept a different role, which would maybe lead to them playing some more games.
0: And I've I've talked about that with kids. And that's one of the things I've seen a lot with kids that transition from Bantams to high school or, um, you know, you know, tier two to tier one or, or, or juniors to college is that um, you got to understand that that when you go up a league, you, you're not going to be the same type of player you were. And yeah. a lot of it is a mindset, right? It's the mindset to put your teammates first, put your team first, and then earn your role on that team. And I think that's something that a lot of kids are missing in today's hockey is is the fact they they um, they don't have to earn their roles on teams. And as you know, playing juniors and, and playing college, one of the most important things is very few players walk into a top six role, right? Yeah they have to go in there and they have to earn that role to be on that top six. And um, that's difficult to do. I mean, like, yeah. uh, um, so, so that's one of the things that I think is interesting about when I remember watching you play at, 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 at Marion, you were a selfless player. Like you played every, you know, every role on that team. You, 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 like you could score, you, you block shots, you played PK. You were one of the guys they trusted to be out there to preserve that two, one lead. Right. And 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 that's something I always tell kids is that, like, when you want to be out there at that last minute of the game, your your coach has to trust you. Like, yeah. you don't have to be the best player. You have to be the one he trusts the most before you can go on that ice. Um, but, yeah, uh, one of the other things, too, I want to talk about is, is the Saskatchewan Junior Hockey League where you guys play in. Um, can you give me a little bit of background on the Flin Flon Bombers?
1: Okay. So, uh uh, the Bombers have been around for almost a hundred years now. Mm-hmm. It's you know a very historic organization. It's it's probably one of the most famous Junior A organizations in in North America. Uh, there's been a lot of players from Flint, Juan that played for the Bombers that played in the NHL, like guys like Bobby Clark, who's in the Hall of Fame, played mm-hmm. for Team Canada, won a couple Stanley Cups. Um, the Saskatchewan Junior Hockey League. It's a twelve team league. It's a very competitive league. It's it's I think the thing I really like the most about the SJHL is um it's not like it's the same teams at the top every year. Mm-hmm. You know, there's like parity and it's like one year you may be a rebuilding team and then the next year you're a contender and then you go through the rebuild and stuff like that. Cause you see a lot of a lot of other junior A leagues where it's the you can pretty much predict who's going to be in the league final in September, you know? Mm. So, um, our, like I said, our league's very competitive. We, you know, we do the best we can with advancing our players to the next level. I know in Flint we've advanced probably, I think 12, 12 players to the division one level in the last three or four years here. So we've, we do a pretty good job up there with uh, promoting our guys to get to the college route.
0: Yeah. Uh, Before I ask you some more of your, where you're setting players at, uh, one of the things I I get people ask me a lot is where is Flon? (laughs) Yeah,
1: it's, if you looked at a map, like I don't even know if you'd be able to find it. It's, uh, it's about seven hours North of Winnipeg. It's pretty much in the middle of nowhere. It's uh, right on the border of Manitoba and Saskatchewan. So it's a border town. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's, a couple surrounding communities so there's about seven to eight thousand people it's it's a very small town it's a mining town um it's it's very like hilly like lots of rocks and all that like i i drive like a small toyota and i get stuck all the time in the winter and it's uh but it's a great place to live it's it's one of those places where if you're very outdoorsy you like ice fishing you like going on the lake then mm-hmm. it, it's a, it's a place for you and, um, you know, I probably sound pretty biased about it, but like we got the best fans in Junior A, like yeah. it's, the community support is awesome. It's it's almost like playing in like a little Montreal or, or Toronto, you know, if you'll walk down Main Street and, and people will stop and talk to you about the, you know, the previous game. And if the team's doing really well, everyone loves you. And if, if the team is struggling, then they'll uh everyone will put on their coaching hats and and tell you you know what you need to do kind of thing so it's it's a lot of fun it's a lot of fun up there
0: don't you love don't you love when people have the critiques for you as coaching and like and they and then they they critique you know why would you put that player out there when we were on the power play and you're like what like like, yeah no i uh
1: we get that a lot it's we get that a lot but you just gotta Got to listen to what they have to say, and then kind of tell them, you know, I guess like why you why you did that and all that. Okay. So,
0: how many? uh How like the rink you guys play in? How many does it hold, and how many do you guys average a game? Like fans.
1: So it holds,
0: uh,
1: like I think it holds seventeen hundred seating, and then I mm-hmm. think it's around two thousand with standing room and all that. Uh, we average probably about nine hundred a game. Okay. Uh, like. Our home opener it's usually around 15 to 1700 and then mm-hmm. we the sir, flint Fawn and the surrounding communities they'll sponsor a game so it'll be a free night for everyone and that's usually a really good crowd as well and it just sometimes it depends on who we're playing as well if we're playing a, a rival or uh you know a high-end team then we'll get over a thousand people
2: so mm-hmm.
1: and then if it's a, a weekday game it's probably around six seven hundred but it's it's loud, the uh, fans are exciting, you know we after we win a game, they'll throw a moose leg on the ice, and it's it's pretty unique, so like
0: a a real moose leg,
1: a real moose leg, yeah <laughs>
0: the, the sanitary conditions there can't be i mean like no,
1: <laughs> no There you you got a youtube it there was an incident a few years ago uh the bombers were in the playoffs against a team called Wayburn, and uh Flint faun had won the game and uh There's a fan that he brings the moose legs to the game and he threw it on the ice and a player off Weyburn uh, grabbed the moose leg and was heading off the ice. And then a guy off Flint Fawn skated all the way down into their huddle and grabbed the moose leg. And there was a huge, huge like there was probably six or seven fights and it was it's on YouTube. You got to you got to look it up. It's a good one. that's (laughs)
0: that's why that yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know and that's the funny thing is you say even like let's say a thousand people are at your game and you said your your community is what seven thousand
1: yeah like that's the thing like there's a lot of teams in our league that have like double of our population and they don't even get that you know yeah. so we have to get like you know 20 to 25 percent of our our community at our games that's that's unreal so.
0: that's, that's- that's mystery Alaska type stuff yeah. there, right? <laughs> yeah. like, that's that's awesome. That's awesome. So getting back into the recruiting side of it for you guys and, and the recruiting uh the process for you guys and, and where you guys send players. Where do you guys send? Like you talked about, you know, you've had a, a bunch of Division One commits over the last few years. But in a, but aside from that, what about Division III And And do you guys move players to other junior leagues or teams? Or how does that, like for you guys, what does that process look like?
1: Yeah, basically we just – you know, we'll obviously we'll recruit guys to come play for flint fawn for a couple of years or we trade for someone. And then, uh, once they age out, we, you know, during their 20 year old season, we do a really good job at like, I'll put together like highlight videos of the 20 year olds and I'll send them out to all the schools with their information and everything. And, um, like I said, we've sent a lot of guys to division one and, we have a couple couple of our 20 year olds this year going to go play division three one of them's going to go play at uh, wisconsin superior Mm -hmm. and if we have like guys with major junior experience who aren't eligible for uh division one scholarship Mm -hmm. then we'll find them a place to play like cis in canada kind of thing so Mm -hmm. but and like we don't really like we don't develop guys to go play in the na or anything like that like in our eyes we're the same tier as they are same mm-hmm. caliber. And, um, but I mean like if we, if a player does go to the States, it's, it's normally like the USHL. Yep. You know, we know that's a, a really good league and it's, you know, arguably the best major junior league around. And actually one of our players, um, he got drafted in the first round to uh in the USHL draft this year. So, um, he's a Denver commit right now. So mm-hmm. he might be going down there. So, if he does go down there, then, you know, good for him. It'll be good for our yep. program, you know, to get guys. It just shows that we get guys to the next level, right?
0: Yep. And then as far as when you, <clears throat> excuse me, as you guys, as you guys are moving players on and things like that, um, and, and flin Flan for you guys, you see, you talk about the NA, not it really isn't the same league as them. What are some of the other leagues in Canada that you guys, um, I know you guys compete within your own league, but like, um, like, you have I know you have the MJ the AJ the BC and stuff like that. I mean are are I mean are you guys all comparable? Because that's one of the things that a lot of Americans don't understand is that in America we have the tiers tier one tier two and tier three. Yeah. Um is, is there tiers in Canada? Like how does that work?
1: So uh tier one in Canada would be like the WHL OHL mm-hmm. Q and then tier two is the SJ MJ Alberta BC you know the cchl okay. OJ, so like we're all we're all the same tier but obviously some leagues are better than mm-hmm. other leagues you know like i would say the bchl is probably the best tier two league in uh, in canada okay and they just you know they get a lot of division one commitments out there and then they're because of their reputation, they're able to bring in a lot of American kids who have division one scholarships already, which just helps the league get better. And I know they had a NHL first round. They always have like every year, they have like an NHL first round pick and they're kind of the cream of the crop. And then after that, it's, you know, it's Alberta, Saskatchewan, Manitoba, you know, the CCHL, we're all pretty comparable, so.
0: And you bring up American players in the BC. Uh, One of the questions I have for you is how many American players are allowed in uh, the SJ per team? I I believe there's a cap, isn't there?
1: Yeah, I believe it's five. Okay. Five. So we just had had the one with us this year. His name was Adam Victorino. He's an Alaska kid, played Iowa U18. So, um, and then... Like, we had a scout, one of our former scouts, he was coaching like the Colorado Rough Riders U18 team. So, he's like a really good network a connection for us to get players and stuff. So, we typically will have a couple a year, but mm-hmm. for us, we mostly recruit out of like Saskatchewan and Manitoba. As co- and we have a really good pipeline in Quebec going right now. Like, I think we've advanced like four uh, French Canadian kids to division one in the last three years. So just, uh, our head coach has a really good, uh, network out there as well.
0: Okay, And if there's an American player, let's just say from Wisconsin, that's interested in playing, uh, for you in Flintland, what is the process and how do you go about recruiting kids from the States?
1: Uh, <clears throat> basically it's just kind of like, if we have like a, a connection out there, reach out to them. Hey, do you know of any good players in Wisconsin? Like, like I did with you, you know, yep. I'll, I'll ask you if there's any high end Wisconsin kids and you'll give me a list of names and I'll do my best to try and either get the kids contact information or the coach. And um, I'll just kind of do some background information on the player and, Hopefully the coach can send me some video clips of the kid. And if the kid looks legit, then I'll send them off to our head scout and head coach. They'll take a look at it as well. And then we'll kind of do like a conference call and kind of just go from there. if We feel like we want to pursue recruiting this kid or not. And then uh, usually most years, obviously with the COVID-19 going on, you know, we would invite the kid to our prospects camp in uh, Saskatoon in May and then (coughs) Uh just being able to see the kid live is a lot different than watching video right so yep. and then if we like the kid from at the brain cap then we'll we'll offer to sign him
0: and on this show we've talked to quite a bit about being your kid uh being an advocate for your kid or or kids finding their own voice and being an advocate for themselves how do uh How do you personally like when kids or parents reach out to you about potentially coming and playing for you
1: uh I mean I'd prefer if the kid reached out to be yep. honest with you I mean like these kids are 16 17 years old 18 you know they're going to be moving away from home in the next year or two anyways I think it's good it's a good learning experience for them to to kind of like just show initiative and do things on their own so and I would just I would de- like I would rather just one-on-one conversation with the kid because like you talk to the parent and then the parent like relays information, to the kid. And like, sometimes it's not like a hundred percent what the conversation was. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, uh, I definitely like it better if I talk to the kid rather than the parent, mm-hmm. you know?
0: <clears throat> and then, um, as far as being a member of the Flynn flying bombers, what is it like on the road? Like what is, I mean, how many road trips are you taking a year? Uh, how many home games are you playing? Like, give us a little background on your guys' individual seasons.
1: So we play uh 56 games okay uh 28 on the road 28 at home um we have the we travel the most in our league like our our closest game is three and a half hours we spend a lot of nights in the hotel a lot of a lot of traveling on the bus but i mean it's it sounds like not much fun but like some of your best memories are on the bus you know on the road like it's it's a lot of fun for the guys um we we have two showcases per year where schools will come up we do like a our annual sjhl showcase where um all the teams will go and play and then there's a showcase in january and it's the top players from saskatchewan against the top players in manitoba so like our we do a pretty good job at uh you know, trying to get our players the, as much exposure as they can. And then um, we used to do like a survivor series in the playoffs. It used mm-hmm. to be um, one to six would advance. And then it was seven versus ten, eight versus nine in the three-game survivor series. But we just kind of eliminated that. And now it's just one through eight now. Okay. So it makes it a lot more competitive. And it just, um, I know like in years past, it was always tough, like, at the trade deadline, trying to trade for guys off teams that were, like, in that, I don't know, 9, 10, because they're trying to make the Survivor Series. But when you eliminate that and you make it 1 to 8, then those teams that are on the outside looking in are more willing to to maybe move some of their guys, mm-hmm. you know,
0: um as far as road trips go and look well i i mean i cannot tell you and you like you said before like about uh the bus trips like you might sound but i i i 100 agree with you that road trips are the best part about playing juniors they're the best part about playing college i mean being on the road with your teammates is it's a it's a unique experience that like you love and then once it's over like and you look back on it like you miss it like it's 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 a phenomenal experience and. Um, to anybody out there that's playing juniors and, and the thought of of long road trips or whatever it might be it seems daunting. I, I can't can't disagree with anybody anymore. Like and I'm sure you can attest to it that road trips are amazing. Like, I mean they just are. hanging out with the boys, like, you know, all day you you know like in college you get your schoolwork done right away so it's just you just hang out in the hotel right and you guys are just getting ready and the thing about it the road trips that make them so amazing is all you're doing is talking hockey right yeah, i mean yeah. you just you're talking hockey you guys you know you're 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 on your phones watching hockey clips talking about other things that are going on and and, and that's the thing is i think it's one of the it's that's one of the experiences that makes juniors fun it's what right. it, it's what makes juniors what it is and like what's your guys longest road trip
1: uh, it's about 10 hours yeah it's kind of a grind but like you were saying it's you know you make your best memories on the road and I know what up like because I'm responsible for like uh, the hotel reservations mm-hmm. and all that and the rooming list so I I just think like it's it's a really good like team building experience too. like you know maybe like like when I put together the rooming list it'll be like hey well these two guys they don't really know each other, so I'll throw them in a room together, and then like by the end of the weekend, they're like best friends, you know. And yep. you really get to learn a lot about your teammates as guys just through being on the road together, you know. Mm-hmm.
0: And that's the thing is that's what that's that's what makes junior hockey what it is. And that's one of the things that you know people say like in you know like you know playing college. You know, I I, I had the pleasure of going up to Minnesota Crookston. Did you ever get to play against them?
1: Uh, no, I don't believe so.
0: So, back before the NCHA was the end, what it is now, uh, you know, we were part of, the, there was a team in it called Minnesota Crooks. And I will tell you that road trip, I believe, and I, when I played at Lawrence, I still think it was 14 or 15 hours. And, you know, at first when you see it on the schedule, you're like, oh, man, that's a long road trip. But then as you get, you know, as you get like five hours into the road trip, you realize it's awesome, right? Yeah. And you've watched Slapshot three times already, Like, you, you know, you got Dumb and Dumber on tap. You're excited, right? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, like, that's the part of it. Like, you get to watch the same movies. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've watched Dumb and Dumber or Slapshot or, um, you know, like any of the fun, like, 80s movies that are out there. And not, I mean, it's just, it's such an amazing experience that it's it's one of the reasons why I always tell kids like you're gonna love juniors, you're gonna love college, you're gonna love the road trips, you're gonna love being with the boys all the time. It's such an, a unique experience, and it's one where people always talk about they love the locker room, right? The locker room is amazing, it really is. But the road trips are, are I think are what make the locker room so much more fun. Yeah. Because
2: yeah, exactly.
0: yeah. Because because the locker rooms are great because you know you're in the locker room with all the boys, but then you can still find your little cliques, right? But like you hit the nail on the head with the road trips. Is the coaches put guys who generally aren't in clicks together to get them to know each other. Yeah. So the the road trips are what make the locker room special. Like they're the road trips are the bonding experiences. They're the times that make the boys come closer together. And then they're the ones that in the end make us all miss that locker room when we're done playing. Perfect. And. Uh, So that's one of the things I always talk about with players and and stuff like that. But, um, but as far as we get into COVID-19 things, how has recruiting been for you guys? I mean, it's, it's gotta be, I can only imagine pretty tough right now.
1: It is. Yeah. Like, um, you know, any other regular year, I guess like say our team gets knocked out in the playoffs in April, like myself, the head coach and the head scout, we'll kind of go our separate ways and we'll go recruit and scout. Like we'll go watch like, 18 playoffs and we'll go to you know one of us will go to regionals or or nationals and then there's usually showcases going on probably around you know may june july so you know obviously with the situation we have right now and and not being able to do that it's just been a lot of video you know we'll Mm -hmm. get uh emails sent from players advisors coaches just video of a kid. And then, you know, we'll watch it. If we, like I said, if we think that the kid is pretty intriguing, then we'll do some background information on the player. Like we'll we'll, we'll either contact the coach or we'll contact coaches in that league, see what they think of the player. Or, you know, maybe we know, maybe one of our current players played against the player. You know, we just do like a lot of homework on the kid, find out about his character and all that. And then, uh, if everything checks off, then, then we'll kind of pursue recruiting them. So, okay. but that's just really that's been what we've been doing the last, I guess, couple months now. So,
0: I mean, you, I mean, I can only imagine how many videos you you've been sent and how much you're watching. Like, it's it's. I mean, sure, it helps pass the time, but you know, it's yeah. one of those things where you love seeing video on kids, but also like you love seeing them live. And uh, I had Coach Berger on here a few weeks ago, and he talked about how. Um, one of the things uh, that he does when he goes to the games when he watches, he you know he tries to sit on the opposite side of the rink to watch yeah. the bench. It's one of the tough things about when you're recruiting; you can't really see the bench. Like you can't see you the don't, you don't really see
1: the body language or yeah. how they're really
0: interacting with their you
1: know, like Berger was saying, like even interacting with their teammates on the bench and stuff like that. Like, are they a cheerleader? Are they a powder? You know, you don't get to see those things live or like on the. You know on video, so it, it's tough, so that's why you really got to do your homework on the kid and mm-hmm. uh, you know, call other coaches and just kind of find out as much information on the player as possible. So,
0: yeah, and then <laughs> when it comes to players moving on, um, and it's something that you know, Coach Berger and I talked about as well, as far as um, why some players go to Division One and some will go to Division Three and some flame out, um what is, what are some of the things that you've seen of why, like, and what are some of the intangibles that these players have of why some make it to division one, why some move on to, you know, major junior, um, some go pro or, you know, what is it that you've seen that, that is one of the reasons why kids can move on to higher levels?
1: Uh, I mean, I think like, like the, the division one level, like you just, your, your skating ability needs to be top notch. Yeah. Like you got to have high end skill, you know, You kind of have to, I wouldn't say you have to be a flashy player, but you got to be pretty noticeable, you know, and then, uh, yeah, to be honest, like, I don't really know what it is. Like, there's a lot of good division three players that probably could have played division one, but maybe Mm -hmm. there was some, like a few minor things that kind of held them back. But I know with the guys that we've advanced the division, like they just, like, they got to be super committed off the ice. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, like I know the kid, the one kid that we had, uh, who committed to Denver this year, like his, his commitment level off the ice is just, you know, he's never had a beer in his life. uh, He'll come to practice and then he'll work out after. And then at night he'll come back to the rink and he'll be doing some off ice training, like stick handling and all that. And it's just, it's those, it's those little things that separate I think Division One players from the rest of the guys, it's just the amount of work that those guys put in to get yeah. to the next level, you know. And I think another thing, too, is just academically is huge as well. You know, there's a lot of guys that play Division Three, and they could have played Division One, but maybe their marks weren't good enough. Maybe they didn't take school seriously <clears throat> in high school and it ends up kind of biting them in the ass a little bit yeah. later on.
0: So, yeah, that is also one of the things you bring up about being, you know, working out and uh, <clears throat> the player you said that's going to Denver, um, and you kind of touched on it a little bit. Like it's not the fact that he just works out, you know, and does it after. It's it's the consistency of what she does it right, and I think when you're looking at players who are advancing on in their careers and things like that. And some of the things that go to separate a division one to Division three kid, or even the kid who, you know, it's a good high school player to an okay high school player. A lot of it's, it's, it's consistency, uh, to the craft, right? It's yeah. the consistency to being improving all the time. But the other thing too, that I've, I've watched is a lot of, a lot of it's consistency on the ice, right? Like that when you're watching a video, of a of a player you're seeing the same kid five times in a row right yeah. um and then sometimes you see you watch and i'm sure you've seen it where you're recruiting a kid and you watch five videos in the kid and three of them are amazing and the two of them you're like huh like what's going on here and i think it's the ability to be consistent with your crafts and and with your notion that you want to be better and it's also consistently play the same game like yeah. you know, and, and things like that too is which makes players better but Um, And then as far as like we'll get into some uh, coaching questions things right now. And um, as far as successful teams you've been on, um, what are some what are what was the team you were successful that you were on? And then in addition to that, uh, why was that team successful?
1: Uh, Probably the most successful. team. I mean, my senior year at Marion, you know, we made the national tournament. Uh, That's probably probably the tops my list of successful teams like I don't know what it was like we like to be honest with you probably out of the four years I was at Marion, that might have been one of the weakest teams I played on like mm-hmm. um we had lost the, we had lost Derek Pearl and Scott Milnthorpe on the back end and then we lost Brody Jamison up front we lost Goodmanson and Baldwin and Nets like there was a lot of question marks throughout the lineup but I just think like we had a really tight-knit group that year Mm-hmm. And I thought Gaynor and Berger did a really good job at getting the most out of our best players, you know, mm-hmm. like, I, like Hunter Stewart and, and Derek Thorogood they were our, our top forwards that year. And they kind of went, had a, they kind of had like a, they kind of took a step back their junior year, but Gaynor was able to find a way to get the most out of them, our senior year. And I think just, like I said, just tight knit group and, uh, we had a lot of doubters coming into our year that year and we wanted to prove them wrong mm-hmm. so i think that year and then even my sophomore year at marion like we were we had one we, we won 13 games in a row after christmas like we were unreal that year like we Stewart and thoroughgood were sophomores they were really good and then we had devin Sturmer come over from concordia and i think he was a 30-point guy and uh, Gianni Mangoni had transferred to Marion that year and I think he like was an all-conference defenseman and I think Mike Baldwin and Nett was uh, um, the goaltender of the year in our conference and I don't know, we just had it just seemed like that year everything just kind of, like everyone was firing away, you know, and yeah. that was the year we had Eric Largen as our coach and he just kind of you know, he demanded perfection and uh, like being average wasn't okay to him, and it really pushed us to to get to you know the next level, to bring mm-hmm. our play to the next level. I guess you could say.
0: In through so those <coughs> teams, those teams. And so, yeah, at your time at Marion, how many coaches have you had? I think did you have four of the, at Marion? I had four four different head coaches in four years. <laughs> So you've had a lot of uh, you've had a lot of uh, coaches to learn from a lot of different, uh, you know, philosophies on coaching and things like that. In your opinion, what is it that makes a coach successful?
1: Uh, I think a few things. I think, I mean, you need to have a strong work ethic like Mm -hmm. there's you put in a lot of hours, you know, you're at the rink in the morning, you know, doing, you know, putting together video and stuff like that, or you're practicing. And then the afternoon it's, You know same thing video or or other tasks and then like and then you're at the rink late at night doing the same thing like i just think that you need to i don't know like i've played for teams where we've been super average or super below average and i think just uh the head coach was just okay with being average and i think Mm -hmm. like to be a successful coach you need to have very, very high expectations of your players because you want them to expect a lot out of themselves too. So I think that's one thing. Um, I think obviously you need to have knowledge of the game, you know, Mm -hmm. like you need to be able to make adjustments on the fly during a game. You need to be able to recognize which player should be on the ice at the right time, you know, putting together the right line combinations, putting together the right game plan against a certain team, you know, and then I think probably the most important thing though is getting to know your players because um everyone's different. Everyone it needs to be coached different. There are certain guys that you can be hard on and you'll get more out of them, and then there are certain guys where you need to kind of have that softer approach because like if you're too hard on them, they might just shut out shut down mm-hmm. completely right so it's <clears throat> that's one thing i've really learned the last couple of years is taking the time to to get to know my players so then i like just so then i know how i can get the most out of them so yeah. once you figure that out once you figure figure your players out and how they need to be coached then i think you'll have success
0: absolutely i think it's a great point you bring up there too because one of the one of the things i think we're seeing in the game and i mean it's a it's a complete 180 from when i grew up playing right like when i grew up playing um the coaches were a little bit more rougher around the edges like you know it was my way or the highway i didn't you know like i had some coaches that were fantastic and and don't don't get me wrong like they were they were great i learned a lot from them but uh you know it was it was always like an authoritarian type of a relationship, right and now, with the way um kids are are, are growing up these days um we, you can't coach that way anymore. You can with three or four of the kids, but then there's four or five other kids who they need that like i don't wanna say like they're there moment, but they need they need that 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 confidence that you're there for them that you're gonna you know, you have their back and then there's also the other kids who need that constant encouragement and then that belief system that you expect more out of them because you know they can do it and then that motivates them to be better and I think you, 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 you hit it nail up the nail on the head with that just because you can't just coach one way and coach one kid once and the team a certain way because every kid is different. They learn differently. They what motivates them is different. You know what inspires them is different and I think it's a really important thing to have as a coach.
1: Yeah, um, I think dude, it's important, like especially like junior college level where you're you're working with like older players is kind of like to empower like your leaders as well. Like let let your captains have a little bit of say in, in yeah. what goes on as well. Like, you know, for example, you know, maybe as a head coach, your plan is to come to practice and you're going to work your team, you know, bag skate or whatever, work like battle drills and stuff like that but then maybe you bring in the captain and be like, Hey, like, how are the guys feeling today? You know? And then he'll be like, you know what? Like everyone's pretty gassed. And then you're kind of like, okay, we'll just have like a light fun day today. Like doing Mm -hmm. stuff like that will go a long ways, like with your captains, with your players too. So just being able, like, like you said, like back in the day it was, you know, the coaches were kind of like "It's my way or the highway. Like today you can't really do be like that anymore. You got to like empower like some your players a little bit too to mm-hmm. have a day and what goes on.
0: Awesome. Um, one of the last few questions is that we're going to do is, um, do you have any advice for the parents who are looking to get their kids into juniors?
1: Ah, uh, I mean, I don't know, I guess just like do your homework on the organizations that you're interested in, mm-hmm. like, you know, say, say a few teams reach out to your son, you know, put together a pros and cons list of the of the organizations. You know, you don't want as a parent, you don't want to send your kids somewhere where there's no rules and and all that. Like, it's our job as coaches at the junior level, like, not to just develop. I know it sounds cliche, but not just develop them as as players, but develop them as people too. Like, we want to make sure that they're they're ready for the the next stage in their life when they're done. And I know, like, our kind of our our saying in Flon is like, like, you come. To the Bombers organization as a boy and you'll leave as a man kind of thing. So I think just do your homework on organizations. And and then lastly, just allow your son or daughter or whatever to make the decision. Don't make the decision on behalf of the son. Like I know there was a an incident this year where uh, we were really interested in bringing in a, a kid via trade and the team allowed us permission to speak with the kid so we had called the kid and we didn't get an answer yet and then the dad calls us and just says he's not coming blah 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 and it's just kind of like hey like let us talk to the kid here mm-hmm. like don't you know the kid's 18 years old he's a man he can he can talk on his own like you don't need to call us your you know like <laughs> so yeah that was kind of frustrating to deal with but
0: you know, it's the same thing as like um, I forget what Coach said it Prior, but like the the thing is, is when you when you when you go to college, and even when you trade for kids, you you don't call Dad into your office and say, "Man, you had a terrible last game. Like what 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 happened?" Like you don't like, Mom or Dad don't answer those questions anymore. Like yeah. that kid needs to start you know uh, answering and being able to answer those questions on himself. Like, and that's the other thing too. When you get into the real world. And you make a mistake at your job when you're 25 or 26. You know the boss doesn't call mom and say, you know, like little Johnny. Well, you know, he didn't get his homework or he didn't get his, you know, this presentation done in time. Like it doesn't fly. And that's where kids need to start. Like we say, find their own voice. And and parents need to let them find their own voice. And they're never going to do it when you're helicoptering in all the time trying to like raise yeah. them,
1: like help guide them. But yeah. that, but then there's a you know a limit there. Then allow the kid to make a decision.
0: You know from there so and that's the other thing too is like when you see parents that are out there you know you know helicoptering their kids and their stuff like that it shields them from so many things that they you know then they don't be able to come their own person they don't be able to learn what failure is and learn how to do things i mean i remember going to my first job interview and just bombing it (laughs) like you know like it was but that was the thing i I did it myself right i didn't i didn't have my mom or dad there to like help me answer questions or things like that like i went in there and failed miserably i mean like it was one of those you know interviews you walk out and you're like like that was bad. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, like you, it wasn't like you were questioning it. Like you knew it was bad, but that was the thing is I learned from it. I, I was yeah. like, I was, okay, what went wrong? And then, you know, I realized I wasn't prepared. I wasn't, um, I hadn't done my research on the company. I didn't, I didn't research what potential questions they could ask. And like, you never find that out unless you do it. So like parents, when they take that away from their kid, they're taking away the opportunity from for them to A fail, and B learn from their failure, which is the most important thing out there right yeah.
1: now. Exactly, yeah.
0: yeah. So the last question I have for you is, um, and we asked it to everybody, but, um, I want you to go back to a 12, 13 year old you and give yourself one piece of advice.
1: Uh, it, it would be, I'm going to copy burger on this one, but, uh, it was, I should have did more skill training growing <laughs> up, like just with how much that is like evolved in our, in our game the last probably, I don't know, four to six years, you know, like, yeah you can lift as many weights as you want and do all that stuff in the gym but like if you're not working on your on your hands and you're not working on your shot like you're just you're not going to get better you know and Mm -hmm. I think that's something that i probably should have taken more seriously growing up is just working on the skill set because you know as you get older players start to funnel out a little bit and Like, if you have that skill element to your game, that might, you know, separate yourself from another player making a team. So I think that, and then I think just, uh, I was always, I always put pressure on myself growing up to perform and everything. And I think just putting less pressure on myself and just going out there and having fun. Like, I put a lot of pressure on myself, probably from Bantam all the way to junior. And then when I got to Marion, I stopped putting pressure on myself and that's probably the most fun I had playing hockey in a long time, you know? So just go out there and have fun. Um, you know, if you score a goal, you score a goal, you don't, you know, who cares? Like, you know.
0: That's that's so true and it's I, I, I know you experienced it cause like, um, you know, it's it's uh, that last game you have at Marion, you know, like when you had it, like mine at Lawrence, like we all remember that last game we played at our for college or juniors, or whatever it may be. And like, and how, like, and I don't, maybe, maybe it was just me, but for me, it was devastating, right? Like, it was like, you know, your entire career, you know, culminated and then it ended. And, um, there's no more, four more years. There's no more, you know, next year, see next year boys. There's no more, that locker room is now gone too. And, um, you forget how fast it goes, and you forget how much fun it is, and and that's why you always tell players like take a step back and like it's it's okay to enjoy yourself, man. Like it's 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 there's you know you can put pressure on yourself and still have fun though, and and that's the thing is sometimes kids they put so much energy into things they can't control either that it makes that pressure go through the roof, like you know, and um, you can't control what you know Johnny next to you who's recruiting him, or you can't control you know, what the refs did or, you know, the refs didn't give you that assist and you deserved it or whatever it may be. And I think that's a lot of the pressure that builds on kids is is they they focus on a lot of things that they're just out of their control. And if if you could start, you know, just focusing on you and having fun and being better then you you would see like, it's not just the kids though, the parents as well need to understand that, like, like don't put so much, I mean, I I think that's a great piece of advice is just, you know, not put so much pressure on yourself, but I mean, I, I hate to say this sometimes, but the amount of pressure parents put on their kids is like, ooh, And, yeah. Yeah, you know, and <clears throat> I understand hockey's expensive and parents invest a, a ton into kids. And, yeah. and I get it. You know, it, it's tough. But, man, like, that's the other thing, too, is that pressure is, and a lot of that pressure is because it's things out of their control. And, yeah, and
2: exactly.
0: once you let go of that, you can, going to, I mean, it's the reason why you probably had so much fun in marrying. You just let go of it, right? Like,
2: <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah.
0: And um, I mean, and that's that's the thing. Is once you let go of those pressures, I mean, you just have fun. You get to be with the boys in the locker room, the road trips. You know, you don't, it could be a fourteen-hour road trip. It feels like two. Like
1: it's. Yeah. it's, it's I just fun. feel like you have a if you have a rough game or something like that, like just forget about it right. You know, right away. You know, don't, don't think about it. Don't dread about it. Just move on from it as as soon as you can, and then you know, worry about the next game. You know.
0: Yep. So that's what I, I've told a lot of kids: is is that um, you know if you have a bad game, the the best thing you can do to either get is is uh, get your coach or yourself to forget about it is have a next good practice or game. Like, yeah. and that's the beauty of hockey is that there's always another game, there's always another practice for you to have whatever happened in that game before for that person to forget about it. And that's that's one of the things is and and I'll tell you from and you can you can probably you know uh, expand on this a little bit too, but. I mean, I, there's not a lot of things I remember. And like, as far as game to game, kids making mistakes or things like that, like, yeah, you see a mistake in a game, you, you process it. And then I move on from it right away. Like, I don't go to the next practice and like, and hold that over the kid. Like, you remember you did that? Like, yeah. um, and, and sometimes players, if they, once they know that their coaches don't hang on to those things, their mistakes or there's things, it allows them to, you know, open up. Now, I mean, like, I do remember the kid taking down the Kidoba burrito, um, <laughs> Like, and then the 60-ounce 60 60 ounce big gulp with him, I mean, like, that bothered me. It still bothers me to this day. Um,
1: Did you see it? It, was, it? Was that McDermott kid?
0: <laughs> yeah, he that. Tri- yeah,
2: yeah, I remember yeah. that.
1: He was a good kid.
0: Yeah, was, I, the kid's awesome. But, yeah, yeah, and that's the thing is he uh, – Um, I saw he commented on it, and I just started laughing. I was like, man, he, he's he's listening in. It's hilarious. Yeah. Um, But real quick, I just – uh, you know, Coach AJ chimed in there, and he's got a quick question for you. Ask Cole – what nickname coach Langford gave him at Marion?
1: Uh, it might have been claw killer. It might have been, <laughs> been claw killer. Because, like, I would go, I don't know, my freshman year, I played 19 games. I had zero goals and zero assists. <laughs> so, like, I would just go out on the ice, and I just wouldn't really contribute to anything. So, I would just be <laughs> killing time out there, basically. Yeah. So that might be the nickname. I know Lankford called me that a couple times. So,
0: <laughs> well, that's the thing, though. Like, if you're not getting scored on, like that, I mean, you, you talk about uh, who is it? They interviewed Matt Cullen during the um, uh, one of the NHL playoffs, and, and one of his roles was to win defensive zone faceoffs and do all these other things. And he, he, I think, it, I think it was him that referenced me. And I could be totally wrong here, but they said, "My goal is to give Sidney Crosby and Melkin and Kunitz and all these other guys." 45 second break so they can get on and do what they do.
2: Yeah.
0: Like protect my team, protect my team's league, get them out, get them in certain situations of where their talents can be utilized. And um, you know, and that's the thing. We talk about your roles on your teams and how it's still re- those are the reasons why like that role is still relevant, like and will always be relevant. Um, you know, it's like you might not be the one scoring the G dub, but you're the one that took out, you know, you went one on one with the other team's best player, shut them down, then allowed your player to get on the ice and, and do what they do.
2: Yeah, exactly.
0: Um, but yeah, listen, this has been an awesome interview. I I just want to say thank you so much for coming on. It was it was a pleasure to to see where you are right now. It's a pleasure to have you on and share a lot of your insight. And I'm sure a lot of the people who are watching are really appreciative of it too. So do you have any last things you'd like to add?
1: No, just uh thanks for having me on, Ryan. It was a lot of fun and uh I'm hoping to try and make my way down there at some point, you know, maybe, maybe next spring or the spring after that, just kind of all depends on how we do in the playoffs. But I definitely love, I still got a lot of good friends down in that area. Mm -hmm. So if I'm ever in that area, you know, around springtime, I would definitely love to help out with any hockey camps or anything you got going on. So that'd be great.
0: That'd be amazing. Well, thanks again. And uh, I'd like to let everybody know we're on Views from the Bench. We're Monday, Wednesday, and Friday's at noon. Uh, next week, we have uh, Coach Brett, or not next week, this Friday, we have Coach Brett on, who coached down in St. Louis. He was a CarShield 08 uh, head coach last year. So he's going to have some really great insight um, from the St. Louis hockey world and things like that that I think you guys will enjoy. So, Cole, thanks for coming on again. I really do appreciate it. And everyone out there, stay home, stay safe, and good luck out there.